Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. So we're going to continue on uh, this morning. I'm excited to uh, continue on talking from the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, um, and uh, I'll probably change it back and forth how I say it as I go. It's just whatever kind of is flowing out of the mouth. Um, And uh, this is a book that is not often read. I mean, a lot of times, the minor prophets are a lot of times skipped over. If you're unfamiliar with the minor prophets, Uh, They are the little, little books in the Old Testament. They're kind of lumped in together. Um, But the minor prophets are this group of writings that were taking place during the time um, of Israel's kings and exiles. So we have this time in the uh, the nation of Israel where uh, there was a civil war and they split into two uh, different countries. And we see in the, in the books of First uh, and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, we see the history and lines of kings. That's what those books are talking about. It shows this king and then this king and then this king. And it talks about what they did during their reigns and what happened in the kingdom during their reigns. Well, the minor prophets were happening at that same time uh, because God was continuously talking to the nation while this was going on. And so it can be a little bit confusing because it's almost just like a snapshot of like a time. And, uh, and so we're kind of jumping in without a whole lot of context. And so a lot of times when we read uh, the Minor Prophets, it can be really hard uh, to, to understand what they're talking about, to understand why they're, what they're, you know, what exile are they talking about here and what, what nation is oppressing them and what's this. So um, a little bit of back uh, story into Habakkuk. It was going on um, during the time of the Babylonian oppression. So, like I said, the nation of Israel, it split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was the nation of Israel and the southern kingdom was the nation of Judah. Now, Habakkuk was talking to and, and uh, delivering this message to the nation of Judah because the northern nation, the nation of Israel, had already been conquered by the Assyrians. So we see um, the Assyrians had come through. They were taking over everyone. They conquered this northern uh, country of Israel. And then when they got to Judah, uh, the Bible tells us there was a couple, there was different um, treaties and like, or like different um, submissions that were given that basically kept Judah from getting conquered. They, they were willing to pay taxes, and they were willing to kind of pay homage to the Assyrians, and that kind of kept them out of harm's way. Um, but that only lasted so long because pretty soon a new uh, country came onto the scene, and that was the Babylonian Empire. And so they started sweeping through, and they started conquering up things that Assyria had already conquered. They started um, warring with Assyria. They started conquering over things. And then they said, well, we want to expand. And some of these old treaties and these old um, agreements that had uh, saved Judah prior to the uh, Assyrians coming in, when the, had saved them from that, the Babylonians weren't having any of that. They were like, yeah, that was good. You signed those with the Assyrians, but we're not going to honor those. 
So we see this country, it's a very, very small country of Judah. They were smaller than Israel. So they're like this last little remnant of free uh, Jewish people. And they are surrounded by enemies and this huge Babylonian army. There's still some Assyrians around and they're just getting oppressed on every side. And it's pretty clear to everyone in the country that they are going to fall. Now this is about 600 years prior to the coming of Jesus. So uh, we have, it's about like 600 um, BC, maybe, maybe between like 700 and 600 BC. So you have Habakkuk coming and he's seeing this oppression. He's seeing the people, his brothers and sisters in Israel have already fallen. He's seeing them being captured and oppressed. He's seeing Babylonians coming in. He's seeing they've already been attacked several times. They're, um, they've been, they're being just, uh, in everything, like their trade routes are being cut off. Um, there's all sorts of stuff, and every sign is pointing to them being attacked and taken over. And they all know if there's like a full-on attack that they're not going to be able to survive. And so this is kind of the scene that we have where Habakkuk comes in. And Habakkuk is a guy who is really, really, really relatable. Uh, if you read through this, it's astounding that this was written almost 3,000 years ago. You read this, and it's like word-for-word word thoughts that I've had. Like, they are exact trains of thought that I've thought. Because Habakkuk comes to God, and he says, these are some issues that I'm having with you specifically, and, uh, and I need some clarity on them. And God graciously gives him answers. Habakkuk comes to God, and basically, it's the, the Bible, a lot of translations call them complaints. So it'll say Habakkuk's first complaint, and then there's God's response, and then there's Habakkuk's second complaint, and God's response. And after God's second response, Habakkuk doesn't have much to say. And so he offers up a closing prayer of thanksgiving and praise. Um, and so it's, in, like I said, very, very small book. If you've not read it, it's only like three or four pages long. Um, but we're going to be looking at Habakkuk's second complaint today, um, reading through it and uh, seeing how God responds and just what we can take from it. And like I said, insanely relatable um, to what's happening right now, specifically in our country. Uh, the sermon title today is, Why, Does, uh, Why Do Evil People Prosper? Um, and there's a, that's a question that I think all of us have probably asked in our life. Um, I remember whenever I was younger, I can't remember, I was trying to think as I was prepping for this, I was thinking about it all week, and I can't remember the exact details um, of the story, but I remember whenever I was in high school, um, I remember it involved my lacrosse team. Something had happened where a bunch of the guys on my lacrosse team had gone and done something, and I don't know if it was like they had gone to a party or they had done something, and it was something that I knew was probably not best for all of us. It was probably not something that was uh, very uplifting for me, um, but I felt like because I wasn't a part of this, whatever it was, um, I felt excluded, and I felt um, like I was being held back. And I remember it being like the very first time when uh, my Christianity had caused me to like miss out on something, or or in my own mind, like to it had caused me to say, "No, I can't do this." 
um, for the very first time in something that maybe I wanted to do. And I remember, like I said, I think it was to go to this party, and I think my friends, there was like drinking there, and there was different things that were going on, and they were just like the next Monday coming in at practice and stuff, they were all just talking about it. And uh, they were talking about how much fun they had and about all the stuff that they did there. And I remember being really jealous. And I remember um, being like, man, I really missed out. And I had known about it, but I had chosen not to go because I knew what was going to be happening there. And um, I remember going to my parents. And, and my friends, they were... They were uh, they, were, they had no guilt. You know, they were excited about the things that they had done. They were excited about what had happened over the weekend. And, and I was like, man, I want to be a part of that because it's, it sounds like so much fun. But I know if I had done that, I would just be riddled with guilt. Like if I had gone and actually done this, I would be so guilty all the time. I would just feel terrible about it. And I remember going to my mom and dad at dinner that night and saying, man, I, sometimes I wish I wasn't a Christian because then I wouldn't feel guilt. And I said, I wish that I could be like my friends and just go do the things that they are doing and not feel remorse about it. I want to go do what I want to do and not feel like I have to withhold things. And, and it was this very first time as a teenager struggling with this idea of my own free will and wanting to, this temptation of sin kind of coming in in a real way of like, I want to go this direction. And we see... Um, Habakkuk kind of sitting in the same place where he's saying, these people over here who are just doing what they want, they're sinning, they're, they're going off, and, and it looks like they're having a good time, and they're prospering. <laughs> like They're having a good time. They're making money. They're being successful. They're, they're, being, they're having friends, and it looks amazing. How can you let that happen? I'm trying to follow you, and, and I'm going to read it here. Again, this is Habakkuk. Um, this is verse or chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 12. This is Habakkuk's second complaint. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our, sin, for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while, they, uh, while the wicked swallow people up more righteous than they are? Can you, can you hear Habakkuk's kind of almost like sarcasm in there? He's like, he comes in and he goes, uh, he goes you sent these guys to punish us, right? Like, you're not going to let them wipe us out. Like, surely, surely this cannot be your plan. Like, God, you sent these guys to teach us a lesson. Lesson learned, we get it, <laughs> Right? We get it. Good, good, good one, God. Um, but that's not where you're going to leave this, right? Because you're a good God, so you can't just wink at their treachery or their wickedness. And then he says there, should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they are? Think about that. Like, I have been in that situation. I just think back to that very first time I was struggling with that as a teenager. And I look out and I think, I remember in my heart, in my head, like, talking to God and being like, those people aren't following you at all, and they don't care to, and they're having a better time than I seemingly am. Like, <laughs> so I don't get it. I don't get it. And this perpetuates as life goes on. You see, um, you know, people in life who are maybe doing business or who are in jobs, and they, they cheat, and they steal, and they swindle, and they make it, and they climb the ladder, and all of a sudden, you're looking out, and you're saying, how they can have that house, 
I can barely scrape by, and they can have that vacation, and I can barely scrape by, or I'm, I'm in the hole because I have this medical problem. Why are they healthy? And we have these thoughts over and over again, and you see Habakkuk struggling with the same thing. He's like, yeah, I see this. Okay, they, you sent us to teach a lesson, but we're trying, and they're not. So how this isn't adding up in my, in my head. And he goes on. Um, again, a little bit of background here to kind of make sense of the next part. Uh, the people, the Assyrian culture and the Babylonian culture, they all, um, in a sense, worshipped the ocean. Uh, ocean waterways were a huge, huge part of their culture. It's how they did all their trade. Um, they did through boats and things like that. It's where they got a lot of their resources. So the fish was a huge part of their diet. Um, it was just a major, major part. So they all had gods. The Assyrians had a god named Dagon. And Dagon was usually represented by like, it was almost like a mermaid. Um, it was like a half man, half fish. Sometimes it was like a half man, half fish, half goat. Um, it depended on where they were writing it and what they were uh, putting it on. But you, uh, you, see this, um, you see this god of fish and of the ocean. And then the Babylonians had one called Enki, um, E-N-K-I. And it was basically like Poseidon from the Romans, um, where it was like this god of the ocean. But again, it was represented with the symbol of a fish. Um, and so... They, in a sense, worshipped the ocean in a very real way, would offer sacrifices. Um, it was part of their gods. And so um, Habakkuk in verse 14 goes on and he says, Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must, be, we, must we be strung up on their hooks, caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods that made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And I don't know, like I said, as I read through it, it just hits me so, it's so relatable. I think about even to the culture that we're having right now in our, in our country, where we're seeing culture shifts that a lot of us aren't happy with, or we're seeing decisions being made that a lot of us aren't happy with, and we say, God, how much longer are you going to allow this to happen? How much further are you going to allow this to slip? Surely it's just a lesson that we're being taught, right? Right? We're seeing mass exoduses in the church across the United States. Surely this is just a lesson, right, to, to make your, your remnant stronger. We are just like Habakkuk. It's just, again, people have not changed in 3,000 years. It's the same idea where we are faced with this, contract, this uh, contradictory idea when we, we look out in the world and we know in our hearts or we want to believe in our hearts that there is a God who is all-powerful and all-good, and yet we look out and see evil everywhere prospering. And so sometimes in our despair, we turn to God and say, surely this isn't your plan. This is so prevalent that it's actually one of the number one causes of atheism. We see uh, many prevalent atheists, this is one of their like, leading arguments. Uh, you may have heard it before where um, they would say that if God... If there is a God, first off, they, they, they would say they don't believe there is one, but if, they, if they'll offer 
the small kindness that there is a God, I say, well, then that God that exists can neither be all-powerful or all-good. It can't be both. Because if this God that did exist was all-powerful, then they would stop evil from prospering. Um, And if they were all-good then they would care for us. So like, if this God, because evil is prospering, then obviously it's not all good. He may be all powerful, but he's not all good. And if he's all good, then he can't be all powerful because he would stop the evil from prospering. And so a lot of atheists come forth and say, then your God cannot be both of these things. And Habakkuk is kind of, not in a disrespectful way, but he's saying that. He's saying, if you are all powerful and you are all good, then how is this happening? And it is just, it's funny, again, because sometimes when I have those thoughts and I'm sitting there, I feel bad about myself, or I feel bad about my struggle, and yet God, in his response, is loving and he's kind. And that's what I hope we take away from this, uh, this sermon today, is that God is looking at things differently than we are. And so when we see evil prospering everywhere, he does not. And here's his response. This is Habakkuk 2, 2. Then the Lord sent to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it surely will take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness in God. Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many people. But soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by exhortation, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all that you have while you are still trembling and helpless because you have plundered many nations. Now all the survivors will plunder you. You have committed murder through the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. You believe your wealth will buy you security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you have committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters filled the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk and force the cup on them so that you can gloat over their shameful nakedness? But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. I like, this is funny because God... He is, he is a God. A lot of times we think of him outside. We, we are an image of who God is. And so I think a lot of times our humor and our sarcasm and our things like that are 
God has something like that. He has a portion of that, and he comes and, and he uses this idea of drinking. He goes, yeah, you guys got all your people drunk so you could take advantage of them. He goes, come and drink from my cup and see what that does to you. And it's just such a, he has so much power that he, he doesn't have to explain himself. He just says, here he goes, come and drink from my cup. Drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forest of Lebanon, now you will cut, or you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder through the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us? To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless on the inside. But the Lord is in his, temp- in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And it's funny because we, if you've read through the book of Job, uh, you see Job kind of has this same back and forth where Job offers... Uh, complaints, or at least he offers his struggles. He comes to God and says, how can you let this happen to me? And it's almost exactly like Habakkuk, where Habakkuk comes and says, how can you let all of this happen to us? And God comes back and he goes, you have no idea who I am. And he offers in this a small picture of how he views the world and when he views the world, he looks at it so differently. Our main point today, the main point of this passage, is that true success and pleasure isn't found in the fleeting treasures of this world, but in the eternal goodness of God's blessing and promise. See, God looks at this world upside down. He says that what we see is not what he sees. And, uh, and that's the, the very first point here that I want to make is that God encourages us to see a different perspective. God reminds us to keep perspective. You see, through his response, what he's telling Habakkuk is, you see this nation that has built these palaces, has built these towers, has built these war machines, has built this power and this amassing uh, more and more and more power. And you see an unstoppable force, and what I see is beyond that. I see them as ashes. I see them as nothing. And he goes, you see what's next. You maybe see the next, you, you saw the Assyrians, and now you see the Babylonians, and I see beyond them. He goes, I see the end when they're nothing, when they, what they've built are ash. And what's really cool about this is that this is not something that's unique to this passage, this idea of God seeing, seeing what we build and what is built on the earth differently is something that continues on into the New Testament. We see um, this shift in perspective uh, here in, um, in 1 Corinthians, we don't have this on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians, um, 
Paul is talking about us building things here on this earth. Just like the Babylonians, as Habakkuk is saying, like, they're building up, they're becoming prosperous, they're, they're winning. And Paul talks a little bit about this too in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3.12, it says, Anyone who builds on that foundation, the foundation of Christ, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the final day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will, re will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. See, there will come a time, what, what God sees is he sees his plan. He sees, he sees his creation. And it's a struggle for us because there's so often when we look and just like Habakkuk, for 3,000 years people have been looking and saying, how, if you are so good, God, we know you are a God of goodness. You, we know you are a God of love. You say it over and over again and you demonstrate it in how you interact with us. And yet, how do these things happen? And, and God answers us over and over and over again. Listen, what they're building has no value. And what we, what we struggle with as Christians back then and today is what we put our value in. We see riches and we see success and we put value on that. And he, God says that's not what it is. See, if you look at what Paul is saying, Paul is saying is when we come before God, we are going to pass through some sort of judgmental fire, some sort of fire that is going to look at everything that we've done in our lives. And he says, if you believe in Christ, you're going to ride through that fire on the foundation of Christ. He's going to get you through. And if you've built something on that foundation of Christ that is good and holy and worthy of God, then it's going to go through with that foundation and with you. So you'll enter into this kingdom having built something already. But if you don't have that foundation, if you have nothing, you could have built the grandest, most amazing, powerful palace full of jewels and riches made of stone. And as it comes before that fire, it will be destroyed and demolished and burned to nothing. And so what God is saying here is he's saying, listen, in the end, the person who has the hut that makes it through the fire is going to have a heck of a lot more than the person who has ashes. And he says, so don't be caught up in this idea of what you think is prospering because it's not. It's not prospering. And I've had to struggle a lot with that in my life. I look at people, you know, again, people who, who will outright blaspheme the name of God and yet they have a perfect bill of health. I think to myself, where, where is the justice in that as I'm trying to live my life? I realize that we are all broken and sinners. So I, I don't have a right to salvation any more than that person does. And yet I am trying in my life to live in such a way that is honoring of God. And so how do, how, where is this disconnect? And God is saying, listen, what you see as success, what you see as them building is nothing. It's, it's, it has no value. What you're building does. At least I hope it does. 
what I'm trying to build, if it passes through that fire, will have value. True, everlasting value. One of the things that keeps in perspective for me, if you're unfamiliar with Francis Chan, I I like a lot of his teachings and his works, and so that's been really instrumental in my faith journey. Um, And he does this really cool demonstration where he takes a piece of rope and he gets it, it's like 2,000 feet long or something like that. And in his service, he had it unwinding. Like during his sermon, he told all the people, hey, unwind this throughout the whole church, just weave it in through and out. And so this, this rope was going and going and going throughout the whole congregation, throughout the whole sanctuary. And at the very front of the rope, he was holding on to it, was this like tiny little piece at the end that was um, covered in tape. And it was like red tape. And at the very end, he said, this red tape section of all this rope that goes throughout the entire sanctuary this is your life on earth. That rope is your life forever after. So what has value? That palace that you built up in this small section of tape? (laughs) Or the things that you've built that will last and carry over into the place that goes on forever? And so that's what God is saying to Habakkuk here. He's saying, listen, I, these people, what they're creating, I know it looks like it's going to prosper. And yes, I am teaching you a lesson. But it's not forever. Because what they're building won't last. He goes, what you're trying to build, if you're trying to follow me, what you're trying to build will last. It will build part of my kingdom. If you try to follow my commandments, live in such a way where you take care of those who are in need. You love those who are your neighbor and your enemy, if that is how you live, then you are building blocks into my kingdom on the other side, this eternal kingdom. And so that's the perspective he's trying to get Habakkuk to see. The next point that I uh, wanted to make was uh, that God is in control of the nets. If you, if you read through the Bible um, and you don't, and if you read it, just like chunks here and there, you don't get the fullness and power of the whole story. See, like I said, this happened 600 years before the coming of Christ. But Christ is God, and it's the same God. And if you think he forgot that there were people who worshipped fish, if you think that he forgot that there was a whole part of the nation who worshipped water, this, this idea, then you don't know a God who is long-lasting. See, one of the really cool things is um, Habakkuk is sitting there saying, are we going to be like fish in their nets? Are you going to gather us up and have them strung up you know, and he's, re- he's referring to them worshiping these things. And, and he's like, is it going to be, are we going to be one more thing that they can chalk up to success to their gods? They're going to come, but when they conquer us, they're going to go to their gods, these fish gods, and they're going to say a thankful, you know, prayer to them and say, thank you for your help in conquering the Israelites. And Habakkuk is saying, is that what you want? Is that what we are? Is that what we're going to be? And God says, you don't understand. He goes, they're using the nets to be successful, yes. But I control the nets. I'm the master of them. And we see that 
in uh, Luke chapter 5, um, we see Jesus coming before the disciples. This is his very first time interacting with many of them. And in verse 5, in five verse 1, he says, on, the, on one day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed on him and listened, to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water so that he could... Uh, so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out into where it is deeper and let down your nets so we can catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll let down these nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners to the boat, to the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. See, God doesn't forget. God comes out and he says, yeah, there are people in this world who are going to prosper, or at least it's going to look prosperous here. He goes, the first thing you need to know is that you need to shift your perspective. Start to learn that the things that are prosperous here are not prosperous forever. It was the second thing you need to know is that I'm in control. I'm in control of this stuff. I'm in control. And it's hard for us because we then look and we say, well, if you're in control, then why are you allowing it? And again, he's saying, but listen, I am in control of the fish, but the amount, if, if you become a really good fisherman and, and you are the, the biggest fish industry in this nation, what does that do if you don't live out a life that is pleasing to me? That's not prosperous, and that's not a blessing to you. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, what is a blessing is living out my commandments. The blessing is my word and my commands. He goes, because if you do that, then you're building for eternity. And he goes, and, and you can do those things, and that's where it's, it gets confusing and it gets hard as we try to navigate this world because um, as many of us go out into the world to do our everyday lives, to do business here and do business there, and, and we think about how do we, we want to be successful in these things, um, and yet, again, the perspective needs to shift where the success in this life comes from how we treat people, how we live out God's commands. And if there's blessing in, uh, in, if there's success in like industry and things like that, then so be it. But if there's not, that doesn't mean that we aren't building something that has genuine value. It's, it's the truth, and I know it sounds cliched, but um, I'll close on this. I have gone on several different mission trips to other countries, and many of you have as well. And when you begin to interact with people from places that seemingly are less prosperous than us. Over and over again. And maybe if you've never been to a place, you've heard it and you're like, I get it. You know, they're, they're thankful. They, they just are. I remember sitting, I was in Costa Rica and I was in this like the most impoverished place that I have ever been in my life. The buildings were made out of sheet metal held up by, like, old pallets that they had torn apart and nailed in. And that was their home. And I was sitting there, and the person whose home it was was offering me 
um, foods and was talking to me about how they were so thankful for God's blessings and about how the ministry was going so well in that area. And I just looked and I was like, man, perspective needs to change on my part. And it's hard to do that. It's hard, and that's why God keeps reminding. It's why that question that Habakkuk puts out keeps getting asked over and over and over again in the Bible. It's why Job asked it. It's why Habakkuk asked it. It's why Paul says it. Paul comes and says, the things that I want to do, I, I can't stop doing. The things that I don't want to have happen keep happening. Why is this? Why are these things happening? But God says, listen, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. It has to do with your faith in me. With the youth this morning, we were reading through Romans 10. And uh, Paul in Romans 10, it's kind of his crescendo in the book of Romans, talking about um, giving your, your life to Christ. And he says, it is faith in Christ. That's all. That's what it is, is to, to proclaim with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and to believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. And that's what God is asking for from the very Old Testament from Habakkuk, he's saying, listen, you have to trust me to believe in your heart that I am who I say I am and to proclaim with your mouth that you follow me. He goes, everything else that happens around you, that's, that's distraction. That's distraction. So I don't know, I, again, I'm going to invite our uh, worship team up. I'm not quite sure where you are today. You might be, I'm hoping, like I said, that this is encouraging. Because for me, as I was preparing this, um, it really did feel encouraging. It felt encouraging for several reasons. Like, as I read through Habakkuk, it was so relatable. Um, I found myself asking those exact same questions. And then reading God's response, just how he comes through and he says, I am powerful. I am who I say I am. And the things that look like they are prospering that are evil it is not eternal. And that is really reassuring to me. And then to look and see that the story continues on as we follow as Christ comes 600 years later, and in the midst of it, he says, look, every miracle that he did was a demonstration of his power over everything in this world. Power over these things that we as humans have given, have deified, right, throughout history. And he proclaimed mastership, mastery over all of it. And so I, I just, I find it re really encouraging. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you aren't to that part where that response is helpful. Maybe you're still in the complaint part, right? Maybe you're asking like Habakkuk, God, I see so much stuff happening in my life, in this country, in this world. Where are you? And maybe you're struggling with that. And I want to encourage you. One of the things that really helps whenever I'm really stuck in that is to Branch out into other people. Don't, don't be alone in that struggle. See, God in his response says, write this down on tablets so it can be taken out by messengers. Because this message isn't just for us. It's, it's something that we have to struggle through together. He was, I want everyone to know who I am and what I am. So that when you're struggling through this, you know together and how to get through it together. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, if you're just in that beginning, if you're still struggling through it, um, don't let that be the thing that turns you because this is something that's been a struggle from the very beginning and yet God over and over and over again has come back with the same response that he is here, his kingdom looks different and that's hard for us to understand and yet in the end it was his will that will be done because he is the master of all.
Would you pray with me? Dear God, we just come before you this morning. We thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of maybe what, what, what looks like a loss, and what looks like maybe losing ground, either in our own individual lives or in the lives of our country, and we sit there and we, sometimes we question what you're doing and, and who you are even. God, we come before you as a people and as a group, and we admit that that's, that's where our heart may be. God, we ask that you reassure us. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the words from Habakkuk to, to give us peace to help us, to help us shift our perspective, to see the world the way that you see it. But God, even in the midst of that struggle, please give us your Holy Spirit to continue to change our hearts, allow us to see more and more clearly. And God, in the times of struggle, let us not waver from you. Let us not pull away. God, we love you. We lift you up. In your name we pray. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.